Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here with Jennifer White. Hey, I'm here. Should we, do we, do, have people been listening for 140 plus episodes or do we need to say anything about who we are? What, what do you think uh, at this point? I mean, we probably <laughs> no, should just because what if you just started just okay. now? Yes. Um, okay. Jen, tell who me about you? yourself. Oh, me? Me first? Yeah, go for it. Um, I am, most importantly, I am your sister. Mm, uh, that is the first and foremost in my life. Are you older uh, or younger? I always forget. Um, well, I am proud to admit <laughs> that I am older. Uh, you so may not much older. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much older. It does not bother me being older and wiser. Mm. <laughs> uh. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm me. I'm your sister. I uh, own a with you a surrogacy matching program. So we get the fun of helping, as I explained how I do badly on vacation recently, I help make babies without sex. So that, that's what I do for a living. <laughs> um, and how about you? <laughs> oh, I guess I also help make babies without sex. Wow. Are kids listening? I'm sorry. I apologize. To, you can explain Probably. what that means. Uh, but uh, thrilled, honored to work with you. Also an attorney. I am fortunate to be licensed and practice in four states, which is a little bit crazy now. Uh, so California, Colorado, New Mexico, and Montana. And I live in Denver. Colorado. And today, great, great guest. We are talking to an author. And before we start, uh, Jen, what's on your, your latest reading list? What are you what are you reading these days? I mean, so I was just on vacation, so I have to admit that I had to pick up trash reading, right? Because wow. you have to read Isn't trash good? each meeting. Yeah. You know what's funny is I haven't quite finished reading it yet, but we were there's this crazy bookstore, used bookstore near us that it's just basically like people bring their books back and you can just like paw through them. And I like picked one up just by looking at its title and it turned out, I kid you not, that it's about surrogacy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, okay. Fiction or nonfiction? So it's totally fiction and it is absolute trash, but I can't put it down. So (laughs) it's about traditional surrogacy. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. So I'm like, I'm not sure I want to name its title at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like absolute trash, but it's like crazy that even on vacation, I can't get away from it. Um, I mean, I have a ton of other titles that are real titles that I want to read and uh, we actually had a couple that were like thrown at us today that I'm really excited like just by their titles like one is called Stranger in My Jeans Mm. by like not like jeans like your pants you know jeans like (laughs) G-E-N-E-S you know and like a couple titles like Brave New Humans I'm like all right I'm I'm ready to start looking at these so so what are you actually reading though right now? Uh, so I did recently finish Uprooted about, uh, so it's a true story, uh, someone who's found out they were donor conceived, mm-hmm. uh, and tells a lot of history of, of, um, donor conception as well. Really well written. And then I also just re- finished reading recently, The Trying Game, which <gasps> is an what? amazing book. And not only is it incredibly educational and helpful for anyone who's facing a fertility journey or in it, or even if you haven't, it's an enjoyable educational book. And so funny. She's very, very funny. Uh, and we have the author here with us today. Yay! 
Welcome Amy Klein, author of The Trying Game, Get Through Fertility Treatment and Get Pregnant Without Losing Your Mind. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Amy, um, I assume all of our listeners have read your book, but if they haven't yet, we want to give them a taste of what to expect and all of the amazing reasons why they should pick up your book. Do you want to start by giving your background and then diving into to your story that led to writing this amazing book? Sure. Um, it's hard to believe that when I started fertility treatment and uh, going through it, there was no information out there because it was back in 2011, 2012. And I was already a journalist for a long time and writing about health and dating and other kind of issues. And I just couldn't believe that when I started, you know, looking for a fertility doctor, there was no information anywhere. Uh, and like I had to go, you know, through, there was no Instagram, Facebook didn't have private groups. There were no influencers talking about infertility, miscarriage. Uh, it's not even that long ago. It's not that long ago, but it was, there was nothing. And as a writer, you know, walking into this fertility clinic in New York City and seeing all these high powered women standing online before they ran to their jobs, because like they had to be there at 630 to get there so they could get out because even before the pandemic, there was no appointment. Everyone just had to line up because they had so little respect for us. That we wow. Just, oh, you had to stay in the waiting room. Um, and just as a writer, I'm like, this is an amazing secret world that some people know about, but most people didn't. And, you know, I've written about so many things that I've done in my life, which whether it's like dating or skydiving or beekeeping, I just said, I have to write about this as I'm going through it because I, I just can't believe no one is talking about it and no one is writing about it. And it's this billion dollar industry. And that's when I started writing about it. Um, I didn't start fertility the same way a lot of people started. I got married and got pregnant right away and lost that pregnancy and then was with an OB and then got pregnant again. So I had two natural miscarriages before I started fertility treatment. Um, I know everyone has a different story. So mine wasn't like traditional. I was trying to get pregnant and then I couldn't, but I got pregnant and I kept losing it. And then I started with IUIs and moved over to IVF. And, um, you know, the, it's funny, but you know, People just think, and I thought, oh, you know, you vaguely heard of IVF, and you're like, oh, if I don't get pregnant, I'll just do IVF, and I'll just have a baby. So, like... Yeah, that seems so easy, right, when you say mm -hmm. it in the abstract. I, I don't know if anyone thinks that anymore, but maybe some people do, you know? Like, you just do this, and you'll, you know, like, you go on a diet, you'll lose weight. You go to IVF, you'll have a baby. Um, and so, at the time, I was just actually sending in, sending in articles to the New York Times, and one day the editor at the time, um, she just called me and she said, oh, do you want to write a column for us? You know, you write a column for three to four months, and then we'll transition it into a pregnancy column, because that's what we all thought would happen. Oh, wow. It didn't go that way? No, I know. Oh. Could you imagine? Um, so, you know, 30 columns later, uh, then it took... Cool. Uh, three years, I guess from then, yeah, it took me about, it took three years for me to get three years. This was my fifth pregnancy, 10 doctors, nine rounds of IVF, three countries, oh. um, to have our daughter who is now almost seven years old. So that's my story in kind of a nutshell, but, um, 
it was crazy to think about then how little support there was and how secretive everything was in 2011, 12, 13. Um, it was just so nobody was talking about it anywhere. And, um, so we had our daughter in 2015 and then by the time, like I crawled out of, you know, the first year and a half or two of child rearing, um, I looked around and the landscape had kind of changed for what was happening in the fertility world. You know, now that there were Facebook groups and people were talking about it, there were Instagram and there started to become social media followers. So it felt like it was much less secretive and it felt like to me, it felt like, especially today, and maybe it's just me, but it felt like there was no information to almost, Oh my God, there's too much information and it's so overwhelming. And um, like the, the way my exchange student who we had this last year described Costco, he said it is everything and nothing all at once. And that's like information sometimes when you get too much, right? It's everything and nothing all at once. <laughs> right. Like you never hear of it. And then you type one thing and then it's like everywhere. And then you're like, what, what do I do? I mean, you know, one of the things that hasn't changed necessarily, and the science has changed, obviously, you know, there was no PGT really back then so much. And the science has changed and hopefully they've gotten better at a lot of things. Um, but I don't think the emotional journey really has changed. You know, it's still always super shocking most of the time. If you're straight, it's, you know, if you're not straight, then you know you might need some fertility treatment. But um, if you're straight, it's always like a shock. Oh, shoot, I'm going to have fertility issues. I didn't plan on this. I didn't budget for this. I didn't think this was going to be the hard part. And there's still like the same panic. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? How do I find a doctor? How am I going to pay for this? How long is this going to take? What is this going to do to my marriage? Um, you know, when is it time to quit? When is it time to change? So I think even in the last 10 years, even though there's much more information out there and there's many more people talking about it and there are celebrities talking about it, I think the emotional journey and a lot of the questions are still the same. And I kind of wanted to just cut through all the noise and like just give people the A to Z guide yeah. of what to do when you first have an infertility diagnosis and how you should proceed. And I have to say, that's what I love about your book. You're not taking a stance like, oh, this billion dollar industry is bad. You're just like, there is a lot. And here's kind of how to break it down. And I love that you have so many lists. <laughs> You're like, okay, top 10 questions here, questions there. And half the questions are absolutely hilarious. So the fact that you add humor in as well makes it really an enjoyable way to absorb really helpful information. So thank you. I mean, some parts are ridiculously hysterical, you know, like when I was going in 2012 to a doctor's office with these magazines and you're like, who touched these magazines and the subscriptions are so old, you know, it's like, ah, uh, the sperm collection room. My husband always wanted to like do a big expose on all the different sperm collection rooms. <laughs> Uh, we're looking forward to that expose. I know. He's like, I want to do, you know, this one clinic had what kind of special porn they had on their ipad and it was like yeah exactly and i will say for listeners we've had guests on so we had one guest who specialized in that area where she was helping with sperm collection and she had some very hilarious stories of people what they try to get away with i guess if they didn't have a full sample they were like mixing saliva in or throwing lube in and she's like we we know come on stop <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so where to start? There's so many great topics. Um, what have you found have been the most surprising reactions to all this inf- great information you put out there? I mean, I think, you know, I didn't go through everything, obviously, you know, like I don't have PCOS, I didn't have endometriosis, I didn't use a surrogate, um, and, you know, I'm a straight heterosexual couple, but one thing that I found also, like, when researching the book was just how many people's journeys are so similar, um, I remember talking to this one gay couple, and they were telling me about how they wanted to use their friend as an egg donor, and then the clinic wouldn't let them, and then this egg donor they picked didn't have any viable eggs, and I was like, oh, okay, we might start off at a different starting point, like, you know, you're two guys, and I'm a man and a woman, but it's so similar, the things that we have to go through, Um, and I think that's, like, universally, you know, everyone has different things. Some people are young and infertile and, you know, don't have the clicking, ticking time clock in front of them, but like everyone is suffering and going through the same thing with the fertility clinic. So I think that was very surprising to me to learn that from people. I also, I thought it was great. Your perspectives that you were sharing that how, you know, validating what people were feeling, but also helping them kind of shift perspective. So even when you talk about being in the waiting room and having these pretty like natural jealousy or, you know, these feelings towards others in the waiting room being like, Oh, she's so young, you know, she has so much time. She doesn't have to worry like I do, or that person clearly has a lot of money, but then you kind of delve into like, well, actually this young person may have a cancer diagnosis and may have some real medical issues behind it. It's not just an age related infertility issue. Um, do you want to share some on, on those kind of perspectives and facing those and writing about them? Yeah, I mean, actually someone that I know has still, you know, I think she was, and she's the one who clued me into that because she and her husband were like 30 to my 40. And I don't think now I check in sometimes just to see, and I don't think they've had a baby. And, you know, people who are young, they don't have the money, first of all. They might not have the money all their friends are like having babies at that moment. Um, and you know, they're eating away at their future savings and they might have much more time than I did, but you know, at least I always say that there's always a limit, you know, there's a limit to your budget or how much you could take or how much time you have. But like, you know, I know people who are going about this for 10, 15 years and that's horrible in a whole different way. Um, you know, I think that, emotional pain, it's so hard to compare, you know, and you don't really want to go there at all with the emotional pain. Like I met someone in the waiting room, someone who had to go through IVF because of a genetic disease. So that's its own kind of pain because they're fertile technically, but they have to do IVF because they have to, you know, not have a kid who's going to die. So you know, I think I said this is not the pain Olympics. You can't really compare yourself. It doesn't it doesn't really make you feel better to say, oh, someone, you know, the kids are still starving in China, necessarily. But it just reminds you that, you know, all fertility stories are kind of horrible in their own way, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, aside from that emotional, I mean, 
And there's so many areas that you just do a great job of breaking them down. There's all these different questions when people go into treatment about ways to do it. And some doctors treat it one way and some treat it another way. And I think you also do a great job of kind of showing both perspectives or the different perspectives. So for examples of those are like, do we do embryo testing? Do we do PGT or um, PGTA? the various testing and you have like the pros and cons, you talk about mini IVF. What of those did you find most interesting to kind of delve into knowing that the science is just continually evolving? I mean, you know, back step for a second from your question, the thing I learned talking to so many different doctors is they're all so certain and they can't all be right. You know what I mean? So I, when I'm looking at a doctor or a clinic, I just like the people who say there's no one solution and there's no one way to do it. And I kind of stay away from the clinics that only everyone has to do PGT. Everyone has to do a frozen transfer. Everyone has to stop it. Like we're all so different. And I just, I respect all the doctors and all the clinics that take each patient individually. And those are the doctors I always recommend people go to. The ones that are so certain that there's only one way to do it, it doesn't work because we're all so different and we all have so many different diagnoses. Um, And, you know, I say this always about PGT is um, they've been trying to prove this technology for 20 years. They just, it was different things. One time it was FSH, one time it was... CGH, uh, it was fish, not FSH, but they call it different things and they're always saying, no, this time it's going to work. This time it's going to work, you know? And it's like, okay, this time it's going to work. And I just, uh, I just don't trust every doctor. Obviously they're doctors and I'm not a doctor. They have to believe in something. I just like the doctors who are saying, well, you know, PGT might work for you if you have this many eggs, but it might not work for you. Let's try something else. I really respect the doctors that are willing to try different things for different people. And I would never stay with the same doctor for more than like three cycles, because I think after three cycles, they had their chance and it's time to move on. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about your experience of the different doctors and what kind of triggered you to be like, okay, time to, time to change. And what, in your opinion, makes a good doctor and what doesn't, right? (laughs) I mean, besides, obviously, the willingness to try other things, but like a good clinic, too. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard for people to find a good clinic because, like, they're not sitting here pouring over the numbers. Um, you know, for me, I mean, my story is kind of sad. I never really needed IVF at all. Um, I had repeat miscarriage, and I'm, like, one of the really minority people, but... I started off with two natural pregnancies that ended in miscarriage. And at my first clinic, they didn't, they just said, oh, you need more folic acid. They didn't really explain it to me. And, or maybe they did. And I didn't understand that I had, I had one of my miscarriages, my 10 week miscarriage was a healthy baby. And um, I didn't know that until like a year down the line in another clinic. Um, and I, if I would have got, like, in the end, I had a baby with reproductive immunology and with Dr. Braverman, who's no longer alive. Um, 
he was an expert in, in reproductive immunology, which is helping your body tolerate a pregnancy. So for me, I never needed IVF at all because I just needed help holding on to the pregnancy. Um, so for anyone who does have repeat miscarriage, like more than if you have one, like my advice to people who have miscarriage. And I think, by the way, I think the IVF field is very behind in this, in this subject because it's only about 3% of people who do IVF who have real repeat miscarriage problems. But it, when people have miscarriages, I always tell them that they should test the products of conception. And if it was a chromosomally normal baby, then you might need to do an immunology panel or see a special immunologist. And that's what I needed. But um, I think, you know, I think that you go to the first, every clinic tells you, oh, they can get, like, they tell you, oh, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. And then you get there and then they do it and they don't, maybe they get the same results as your last clinic. So I think that they get the first try to figure yourself out, which is not fair, but they get the first cycle to figure you out. And then they get the second cycle to, second cycle, cycle to finesse it. And if they can't finesse it by the third cycle, I think it's time to try something else. Makes sense. Um, and it's hard when you say, oh, you have to test, they should be testing the products of conception. I mean, even just the idea of that seems so horrible that you're going through a miscarriage and like, okay, and now I have to add a testing component to it. Mis I mean, miscarriage is horrible for so many reasons. Um, you know, obviously it's the loss of your baby and it's not maybe or the beginning of your baby and it's the loss of hope. But it's also, I, I can't say what's happening right now, but when I was going through it, I was at an OB's office and she's like, well, you could go to an abortion clinic. I was like, what? You know, and she was, and you know, cause she was just an OB. She's like, or you could do this. And I felt very alone. And I mean, I think that fertility clinics are a little better, but they're not always great with bedside manner, like just dealing with the miscarriage. And you have, a, you have a lot of choices ahead of you and you do have a miscarriage cause you have to figure out if you didn't, um, if you just didn't miscarry, like bleed out a miscarriage, but a lot of times you're at a fertility clinic and they tell you you're miscarrying cause they're taking, they're testing your, they're testing your HCG to see if it's going up or down. So it's this horrible time, but you also have to decide, am I going to have a DNC? Am I going to take a pill or am I going to bleed out naturally? And my advice to every person is just, I'll just going to, it's, I say it in my book, but just get the DNC right away. Cause that's the best. And, um, it's the best way. And also you can test the products of miscat. I just think it's the easiest and best way. And you could, because you end a lot of times you end up getting the DNC after suffering. So I just think miscarriage management is, you know, could use improvement. And um, since I had four of them and all different types of miscarriages, I just want people to know that if you're miscarrying, that you should, you know, be aggressive with your doctor. And if you can tell them to have the DNC and to test the products of conception and you don't have to like sit around all weekend trying to figure out what to do and look at all the research. Wow. And what, what were doctors telling you? Were they saying wait or, you know, it's up to you? What were you being told? They were saying wait. Um, you know, this one OB, she was just like, you could get, you could go to get an, you know, go to the abortion clinic or you could take a pill or you could just wait it out at home. And I just did the research and I found out that a large number of, um, 
people who take the pill, first of all, it's horrible. And second of all, a lot of them ends up getting a DNC anyway, because you have to make sure before you start trying again that everything is done. So, I mean, there's other options. I think like at Columbia, they offer a gentle DNC, which is make sure that there is no scarring. Um, But it's just, I wish someone was like there, you know, I knew from then on afterwards, just like, to the DNC and you'll not only just for the testing of the product of conception, but also um, just, it, it gets you back on track sooner to be back in the fertility clinic. Cause after your miscarriage, you still have to wait for your HCG to go down to zero, which is horrible because at first you're like waiting for your HCG to double and triple. And then it's like going down and you have to get it back to zero. And you're in this like crazy emotional roller coaster that um, you don't always have help for. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> That's helpful advice. Um, aside from obviously telling yourself about, Hey, look at immunology. If you were able to travel back in time to 2011 and talk to yourself and you only had a few minutes, what else would you be like? Hey, Amy, also this, this is what you should know. I would say this, and this is good advice for parenting also. Like, don't be afraid to be that woman. Just be that woman. This is your money. This, a parent said this to me the other day about school. They said, they work for us. We don't work for them. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, don't be afraid to go in there and demand what you need and demand the numbers and demand what you need. It, You know, like, sometimes everyone's like, you know, I, I still i am on a thousand different Facebook groups and people are afraid, oh, I can't call my nurse. I can't call my doctor. I can't do this. No, they work for you. You demand... Um, you demand the service that they should be giving you. I know it's easy for me to say I'm not in the clinics right now, but I just helped a woman get a free cycle. Um, She was just telling me her story and they missed her ovulation. I'm like, you get that doctor on the phone and you tell him he owes you a free cycle and she got a free cycle. Wow. That's impressive. But it's the same thing, you know, it's everything in life. Like, oh, I was always afraid to be that girlfriend. I was always afraid to be that parent in school. I don't want to make a big deal. You know, I don't want to, I don't want them to hate me. Whatever. They're not going to do, they might do a better job if they're afraid of you. You know, they might put a little sticker on your folder that says, take her call and put her through. Uh, I love it. No, I love, it's like a. I feel like for anything, it's like an empowering speech, like be that person. I was going to say, I, I just feel like that be. should be my life, like my life mantra. <laughs> I mean, I've had, you know, like I had it in a professional setting and I was so afraid and then you end up in the same situation anyway. So you might as well just, you don't have to be unpleasant about it, but you need to be firm about what you need. Like the doctor has to call you back. He can't wait till two weeks after your cycle. Right. Right. Well, and by then it's so, I think that's the other thing that a lot of people forget is that the urgency of the need of information in this, as you, you know, you're talking about managing a miscarriage. Well, in that moment, having to make those decisions that it is sometimes second to second, how quickly you have to make those. And if a doctor's not willing to call you back for two weeks, but you need time to weigh out the difference between a DNC and, you know, a, a taking the pill or letting that occur naturally without that information, without that professional reaching back to you and you taking that, which I think is exactly what you're advocating for is that, that absolutely taking that information. You can't know what you need to do in that moment. 
Yeah, and I think that um, you need to, it's not only about advocating for yourself with the doctors, but it's also advocating for yourself with everyone around you. You know, and you asked me, if what would I do if I would go back in time? And I, I do say this, like, it feels like forever. It feels like it's taking forever in your life. And for me, it was like the whole first four years of my marriage, but it's not forever. And um, it's not about only advocating for yourself at a fertility clinic, but it's really advocating for yourself among your friends and family and with your partner. And, you know, if that's the second takeaway that I want you to take from the book is just how to protect yourself emotionally in this time. Like, yes, it might be two years of your life. It might be one year of your life. It might be five years of your life. How are you going to live your life during this time? Who are you going to let hurt you? Who are you going to let be there for you? How are they going to be there for you? Um, right. You know, so, so talk a little bit to that end. Talk about, talk about baby envy, since you talk about the emotions and kind of advocating for your life. Talk, talk a little about that. So I think that's the one, you know, I don't care if they really improve fertility treatment in the next 10 years. I think that's going to be the one thing that's always going to be there is this baby envy. And it's not baby envy. It's usually just pregnancy envy. Um, right. It's just this, you know, inability to be happy for anyone else during this time. Um, and maybe, maybe some, maybe some of the people out there are better people than I was, but I just didn't have any happiness in me. You know, like I just couldn't do it. My husband and I got into a big fight and that was one of my first columns in the times magazine about how this woman wanted to meet me for coffee. We weren't, we were, we weren't even great friends. And she wanted to tell me that she was pregnant. And I was like hysterical crying on the phone when she told me, cause she was like a year younger than me. And my husband's like, why can't you be happy for her? And I was like, why, you know, like, I'm not. Why should I be happy for her? Um, and I think that it's okay. And that's one of the things, like, it's okay to be where you are in your fertility journey. You don't have to be happy for other people. And you don't have to go to their baby showers. You don't have to go to the breasts. You don't have to go to the weddings. I mean, you know, now we have a built-in excuse with the pandemic, like you could just cancel on anything, which is a lovely thing that you don't have to go to the 10th time. an amazing what? thing for those of us who are introverts. <laughs> I'm an extrovert and I love things, but, and like, but I say in my book, like I went to everything and you don't have to, because I spent a lot of time crying in the bathroom and people don't understand and... You don't have to explain it to them even. You can just be like, it's really hard for me. I'm sorry. You don't even have to say that. Like I always tell people, voodoo at home, be phony in public, you know. It's not, I, I never wished anyone really ill will necessarily. But it's just like, I had four miscarriages. Why are you having a baby? And I don't have a baby yet. And it makes me so sad. And I can't come to your shower. And I can't. Um, I can't even talk to you for sometimes, you know, you know, um, it's with her permission. I know you wanted to talk about my sister, so I will talk about her. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yes, please. Oh, <laughs> my sister, uh, she, you know, she had a couple of miscarriages and she deserved, I guess, to be pregnant, but 
you know, she, it was after my fourth miscarriage that she told me that, that she was pregnant. And I said, Oh, I'm so happy for you. I don't even think I said that. I probably said, Oh, that's great. And then she started complaining to me about her pregnancy symptoms and how she was depressed and this. And I was thinking like, okay, I was totally lying when I said I was happy for you. But if you think that I'm going to sit here and talk about your post, you know, your prenatal depression or whatever, I'm not like I can. And my mother even yelled at me. She's like, you're not being a good big sister. And I was like, too bad. I can't. Sorry. And I mean, I didn't say it that way. You know, I actually hopped on a plane and spent six hours to Los Angeles crying the whole way on the plane. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't there for my sister the way that she needed me to be. But that's what I mean. Like, you just have to take care of yourself. It's not going to be for the rest of your life. But for however long, you know, people think about money so much in fertility. And it's so important. And you have to make sure that you budget enough financially. But you have to budget enough psychologically and emotionally. Like this woman that I helped get a free cycle for the other day, you know, we were talking about if she's up to donor eggs, you know, what she's up to. And I said, you know, you just have to see where you're at and how much, it's not only how much money you have, but it's how much emotional resources. And you don't know how much you're going to have at the beginning, but you have to like set those boundaries around and fence it in. Like you have to take care of yourself. And I know people talk about self-care and they mean spas or, you know, whatever the, Instagram, TikTok of self-care is, but I, when I talk about self-care, I really mean it in like the most basic way, like take care of yourself. This friend is draining you from energy, gone. This, this relative is annoying you. Let your husband deal with it. Let your wife deal with it. Like you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm sad to hear your that your mom was was angry at you with your sister because it seems like it's a two-way street right that she yes she's pregnant but she's obviously not able to show up for you the way you need someone showing up for you while you're going i was about to say the exact same thing yes well that could be a different podcast called let's talk about your family but (laughs) (laughs) um you know another person i'm not going to say which relative this is but that year my sister was pregnant with her first and my younger brother was pregnant with his fifth and my stepmother who I just said I wasn't going to name but hopefully she'll never listen to this <laughs> my stepmother was talking to me about what she was knitting both of their babies and at that point I was really early pregnant okay I was like 10 weeks pregnant and I wasn't telling anyone and I had any I don't even think I passed my miscarriage marks But I was like sitting on the phone and listening to her and being like, are you kidding me? Are you talking to me about these other babies? Like, I know I'm pregnant. You don't know I'm pregnant. What do you people think I'm made of? Like, what do you think? But you know what? People do not think and they're not thinking about you. I want to just say one other thing about baby envy. I um, have a baby and I I have a seven-year-old. I'm very grateful for her. But it didn't work out in the cards for me to have a second child because of the pandemic, because of time pass. It just, it's something that I always thought I would have. And I never thought that I would only have one child. And that's what it's looking like is that we're one, where we have one child and it's hard for me right now. It's not as hard for me as when I was going through 
infertility the first time, but, you know, secondary infertility or whatever you want to call this, it's hard sometimes. And I recently spent the weekend with a woman who's the same age as me who went through fertility the first time and is just telling me how easy it was the second time for have a baby. And if I were better friends with her, I might have said something to her. But I was like, are you sitting? And then she was like sitting and talking about how hard it was for her to break the news to her first kid that she was pregnant. And she's saying this in front of me. And I'm just like, I don't even know what to do with myself. Um, people are not. So I, I mentioned something to another friend, by the way, who has no kids. So it's like a little like I said it. I said, I know you have no kids and I know you would have liked to. But I'm just like, is this annoying you that she's talking about her pregnancy so much? She's like. Amy, nobody's thinking about you. She's just so happy that she's pregnant. Nobody's thinking about anyone else. They're only thinking about themselves. And sometimes I do say stuff to people. I say, you know, there's a lot of people around this table who have either secondary infertility or who wanted to have babies and maybe you should be sensitive. And sometimes I don't because, like, you just can't educate the world, you know? Yeah, and, and have you gotten better now, or what's your advice to just let it out, to be like, hey, I hear you, but I'm not in a place to, to hear about this, this is still sensitive for me, or what do you what do? you do? It really depends on the level of friendship that I have with someone. So if I was really, like, interested in maintaining, and I'm at a weird, I'm at a particular place in my life where it's just kind of hitting me that I'm not going to have another baby, I just always thought that I would. Um, so like maybe two years ago, I would have been like, oh, that's great. I'm so excited for you. Um, yeah. I say things to people who I'm interested in having like any relationship in life. If I want a relationship with you, I'm going to have to be honest with you. Um, if I decide that I don't really want a relationship with you, then maybe I won't be honest with you. Um, so now we know if you're smiling and nodding that you're not interested, if you're like putting it on the table, that that's a good sign. I don't know. I mean, it's a tough one. You know, first of all, when you're going through infertility, you don't want to be the one educating everybody. Um, sometimes I just say, oh, it's send, you know, and a lot of my books, you could see on my website, a lot of the chapters are excerpted. So like baby envy is excerpted. I think it was in refinery 29 or glamour. Um, you can just send them this article, um, uh, and you could just send, oh, I thought this would be interesting to you, but you know, that's what, it's also emotional labor to educate other people, you know, and your job right now, if you're going through fertility for primary or secondary or whatever it is, egg freezing, your job really is to protect yourself and does that mean edu going around educating other people? Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it will make you feel better, you know? Like if I was if I was with that person maybe another few days, I'd be like, maybe I would say something to her. Like, oh, you know, it's not so easy for everybody else. But yeah. it's never met with malice, but I don't... Um, I'm okay with the green envy monster. Like, I'm okay with feeling, and that's what I want other women to feel I'm okay with being like screw her I voodoo doll at home and it's not like I wish for her to have a miscarriage god forbid or anything but like I don't want to hear about your pregnancy woes or anything like that and I just don't want to be like whatever boundary works for you if it works to say hey that's really insensitive then say it but if it works to like just get up from the table 
like my husband said, oh, it's a good thing you have a reputation for just like crawling away from the table and going to sleep because nobody even noticed that you were gone, but I know why you left. Uh, thanks. Right. So now I outed everyone. So I hope that they Yeah. Anyone else that you want to share about your family, your friends, you want to <laughs> call them out on this podcast? Um, uh, that was funny. My brother is like, don't talk about this. I'm like, see, and it was even sisters you said not to talk about, and yet you talked about brothers. See, exactly. There's a mother that says, if you didn't want me to talk about it, you would have been a lot nicer to me. There's the rule. Ellen, take heed. If you didn't want me to talk about things in your life, you'll be nicer to me. Exactly. Let's get that for the podcast mugs. Oh no. Well, but I just I think this is this is really talking about permission as women, as people to feel what you're feeling and not, you know, there's that phrase, don't add, I think it's don't add pain to suffering. Like we're going through a lot of pain, but you don't have to shame yourself for the pain or let other people shame you. Like, Oh, my mother's like, why can't you be happier for your sister? Like, don't, you know, and this is true for any illness or condition. Like, I'm feeling this way. People might not understand why I can't. Oh, by the way, and I made a decision. I'm not going to this woman's baby party. Like I just decided that's my revenge, you know? Um, And if that makes me a bad person, so be it. You know what? I was a bad, maybe I was a bad person for three years. I was a bad friend. I was probably not a great wife. Um, And it's really a small period of your life. Hopefully this chapter you know, of infertility won't last forever and you have to take care of yourself. And if that means having bad feelings, if that means being envious of other people, if that means not like avoiding parties, then I I give you permission. If you can't give yourself permission, I give you permission to do what you need to do to take care of yourself. I love that. And I think it's such good advice for anything, right? Anything you're going through, um, Amy gives you permission to take care of yourself. It's so true. I was just, um, my friend is dating and I was reading, I was like reading this book for her. It's called, I don't know if you remember this, it's old. It's called Why Men Marry Bitches. I do not Oh no, I haven't read that one. (laughs) And it's also like Why Men Love Bitches. And I always, and I kind of like, now that I'm married 10 years, I kind of understand it. And she's like, I'm not using bitch in the pejorative sense, like a nasty, abrasive person. But I'm using it in a person that sets out boundaries and says what they want. And a lot of men like that because they don't have to guess, Oh, we'll do whatever you want. We'll go there. Well, you know, they're like, no, you come pick me up. You, you were going to go to dinner here and we're going to have a good time. And like, I just think, you know, I think, I guess I've repeated it a lot, but I just think like you can set boundaries with your clinic, with your friends, with your family, with everybody and it doesn't have to be in a mean way. It just has to be in a boundary way. And it's going to make you a lot happier in the end. Love it. I felt like we uh, were talking about your book and fertility and all the, the important piece of knowledge there. But now we've gone to a whole different level about just improving your life We've gone to life coaching now. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you'll huh. find, you know, I hate when... Like I never, I would have been so happy to have skipped the whole infertility journey and like, you know, that first 10 week miscarriage would have been my first baby, you know, like no silver linings. I'm not like, I would rather have skipped the whole thing, but if I'm going to have to learn something, it's definitely, um, 
you know, to advocate for yourself and protect your boundaries for sure. And also to empathy for other people, I guess. I don't know if I sound so empathetic towards other people. (laughs) Uh, More empathy. Okay. I don't know. The not going to their showers, just telling, just thinking bad things about them. Not not as much empathy, but I get it. Although I see it the other way of the, again, sometimes people don't know how to give empathy to people who are going through infertility and they don't, and I mean, it goes back to exactly what you said, Amy, though, that they're not thinking about you, they're thinking about themselves, but it's, it's more about you giving yourself self-empathy when they are not capable of giving it is, is the way I view it. Right. Like my mother and stepmother would never even remember this little things that happens and, you know, they were just having a regular conversation. Um, they wouldn't, they would never, they would be shocked. Uh, I guess they didn't read my books, but yeah. <laughs> right, to hear that you're so of you. Well, I want everyone to go out and read your books. I think it's amazing. Um, what is the best way for people to learn more? I will say I uh, never have time to read an actual hard hardback book, so I found it on, on Audible. So I listened to the audio version, so I got to hear your voice for... Um, 13 hours or oh my gosh yeah <laughs> um but how else can people find your book well they can find it on amazon they can find it on audible anywhere books are sold um they can also go to my website at uh the trying game infertility book and there's a lot of excerpts from the book uh if they want to like just things that they might want to send to someone else you know i have a chapter about you know how infertility affected my marriage um there's a chapter in there about male infertility so you know if you google amy klein and ivf you'll find so much stuff and i think that's a great passive aggressive way to school people as well as to send them and oh i found this article i thought you'd think this is interesting um which is my favorite way to tell people something no my favorite way is to write about them or talk about them on a podcast but second to that is to send them an article well, we appreciate you coming on and talking about your sister and your stepmom. I mean, your book as well <laughs> on the side. Um, and we look forward to, to seeing more from you in the future. Is there any any upcoming books or articles that we should look for? Um, I am working on a book about older motherhood. So I guess all the people that have succeeded in IVF once they climb out of early motherhood they could read something about older motherhood love it well thank you for joining us we really appreciate it thank you so much great to talk to you thanks to amy for the amazing writing the amazing words for sharing with us uh if you haven't yet go check out the trying game so good yes please do and speaking of if you haven't yet right i always like to transition with my really bad jokes uh if you have not yet please, please, please go to iTunes and leave us either a review or just click the stars. Super easy. All you have to do is pick one through five stars. We, we like more, but if, if you pick fewer, that's okay. We'll take your honest assessment. We're okay with that. <laughs> um, we also would love to hear from you if you join our Facebook group. Um, anything and everything. We, we just like to hear from people. So um, thank you to all of you, though, for being here. Uh, thank you to Janelle, to Tyler, to Amanda, and to Melissa, who are incredible humans. And we, we love that they prop us up and bring us here every week for you. So, And of course, thank you to all of you for being with us. 